covetousness as wanting something that someone else has. If you stop and think about it, it seems that much of our culture is based on covetousness because at its root, capitalism is driven by greed. You don't have something and the job of advertisers is to get you to want it. If you don't own a new SUV, advertisers say you need to buy it. If you don't have a loud stereo as the kid down the street, you better get it. We're all about keeping up with the Joneses in our culture and covetousness drives that. And now here comes the 10th commandment saying to you as a Christian, thou shalt not covet. Well, what is a Christian supposed to do? Tonight, we're going to talk about what this commandment means and how we are to apply it. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Hey, welcome to Sinners and Saints tonight. We're glad you're joining us uh, on our discussion. We are finally wrapping up this uh, several-month-long series on the Ten Commandments. Now we're going to take up the Tenth Commandment, Thou Shalt Not Covet. As we do that, as usual, we're going to have as our host tonight, Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church and Reverend Moses Janbazian from Pasadena United Reformed Church, and I'm John Sautel, pastor at All Saints Reformed Church. And so we have this 10th commandment before us tonight. Thou shalt not covet. How do we understand this commandment? Because I know that there's uh, various uh, interpretations of it. So maybe we just begin by giving our listeners a sort of thumbnail sketch of of what this means and how we're going to work with it tonight. The best way to begin is by looking at the words. And there we are told that we are not to covet or unlawfully desire that which God has chosen to give to someone else, to our neighbor in this case, whether it is his wife or his property. It is not for us to say that God made a mistake in giving it to him, but now I will remedy it by stealing it from this person in some manner, but rather to simply be content at God's providence, especially if he chooses to bless someone else and say, yes, I have been given life by God, especially if I've been redeemed by God, I am to rejoice in him and be thankful. And these other material things are not to dominate my thinking and are not to consume me so that I spend my entire life meditating upon how I may take away from others that which God has chosen to give them. Because if you do that, it's a direct challenge to God himself and his providence. And this is always the problem as we've seen with other commandments. Basically, when we sin against our neighbor, we are discontent with God's providence in our own life. We want to decide what we should have. We want to decide who, who else should have what and to what degree they enjoy those blessings. And um, we're not in the place of God, and therefore we should not be discontent with his providence. Let me throw in a verse here to the mix, and let's see if we can work on the meaning of the commandment from this verse. And it's from Romans 7, 7, where the Apostle Paul says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said You shall not covet, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Now, what I want to do is ask you this question. Is Paul saying that this commandment is about thou shalt not be discontent 
because it almost seems like he's saying, well, yeah, you shouldn't be discontent, but you shouldn't uh, sit around plotting ways to take your neighbor's possessions or life or whatever as well as an application of the meaning of this commandment. Well, I think what will help us, John, is to go back to that principle that we've seen applied in various commandments throughout this series, and that is the Lord gives us a specific commandment that forbids a specific kind of action, but that points to a broader principle that's really at the core of of this law. So the specific thing that God is forbidding in this case, for example, is that when you look at your neighbor's wife, that you don't desire to be for her to be your wife, knowing that that's not in God's will. Or if you look at your neighbor's possessions, like his ox or his donkey, you don't desire that you should have the degree of wealth, or actually the wealth that he has for yourself. Now, now notice, if you're going to sin against this commandment, what you will do is you will commit adultery with that man's wife, or you will steal his possessions, things that have already been covered in the other commandments. And what this points us to is that It's a general command, really, that we should never let our minds go after any sinful thought in any of the specific ways which we've even heard before. And it also shows to us how these commandments are to be understood. This is not a civil code, per se, because there's no way the civil magistrate or anyone can know what is the desire of your heart. You can mask those things. This shows that these commands are being given from God. And it is to his covenant people whom he will judge because he knows what is in the heart of man and what are his thoughts. So this should really make us understand how these commandments are to be obeyed and why Jesus interpreted it the way he did. And this is why I think Paul chose this command to show that it was the one that really hit home. Because covetousness covers all of our lives relating to our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, Paul in his life finally realized that he was covetousness, not just meaning there was a couple of nice things his neighbor had that he wanted and that showed him that he was sinful, but he realized in all of his mind and how he thought about the whole world and everything that belonged to everybody else and not him and every pleasure that he wanted that he didn't get, he would pursue that with a passion. So it's a broad commandment here. Yeah, the Tenth Commandment seems like it was Paul's Sermon on the Mount experience where all of a sudden he realized all this Pharisaic law-keeping that he was trying to do was absolutely Uh, useless and vain because it was just pointing to external issues and never got down to his heart. He never actually was able to deal with the sins of his heart because of his rigid observant to external commandments masked all of his interior motivations and desires. And now finally as a regenerate person, he looks back and he said, well, I was breaking them all because uh, I I was never dealing with what was in my heart. We come back after the break. I want to pose a question here on how do we apply this 10th commandment. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you want to be wise unto salvation and learn to live for God's glory, you need the word of God. And that's why I'm inviting you to come worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. Hi, my name is Pastor John Sautel. I'm pastor of All Saints Reformed Church out in Walnut, California. We can't promise you you'll be entertained with high-energy music or thrilling performances or exciting worship or trendy programs, but we will promise you that you'll get the Bible. Because in our worship, we read the Bible, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, and we preach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. If you want to come to know God through His Word and to grow in His grace and knowledge, then we invite you to worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. 
For more information, call us at 909-319-3479. That's 909-319-3479. Or check us out on the web at allsaintsreformed.org. are invited to attend the annual Wednesday night men's forum throughout the month of July at Grace Evangelical Church in Torrance. This year's topics include murdering for Caesar, why Christians don't speak in tongues, white-hot, cutting-edge, spirit-filled worship, and how the world is really going to end. Come meet the hosts of Sinners and Saints along with Dr. Kim Riddlebarger. For more information, call 310-782-7019. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian. I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. I promised before the break that we were going to do is try to pose a question to help tease out of us how do we understand this commandment and apply it. Basically what I'm going to do is bring it down to an example that you're familiar with. Let's just say that uh, you live in a very adequate house that meets the needs of your family. There's enough bedrooms, there's enough kitchen space, there's a big enough yard for you, your family, your pets, whatever. But all of a sudden you see maybe two miles down the road this new subdivision goes in and the houses are quadruple the size of yours and a lot of your friends and your social network are moving out there. The neighborhoods are clean and nice and so spacious, so beautiful, so wonderful. The only problem is you really don't have the resources to get there. Now, the question I want to pose to you to think about, is it covetousness for you to want to leave what is adequate to move out to something that is twice as big just because it's nicer and a lot of people are doing it. Here again, you have to be really careful and say, all right, we have to look at what is the motive and the desire of the heart because one of the things we're given in creation is the creation mandate to take dominion over the world. In other words, to make it all the garden of God and to grow it. And so we have a responsibility to improve things and to make it more beautiful and to show that the God who has given order and beauty is being honored by our work and by our actions. So in and of itself, the moving from a smaller house to a larger house cannot be considered sinful or righteous until you look at what were the motives behind it. Even if the house you currently have is thoroughly suitable and adequate for the needs uh, to meet the needs of you and your family. Well, yes, because adequacy is always a relative term, too. I mean, people throw out the word adequate. Well, I mean, truly adequate could be the shack on the well not could be is the shack on the corner with enough food in my belly and enough basic cleanliness for my family to survive and attend school and eat and whatever i don't you know so adequacy let's make is it better than, let's make too. it better than that then let's just say this is a 2000 square foot house three four bedrooms a big backyard a pretty nice neighborhood maybe the home's 30 years old though but the fact that this see there's other factors also there's the aesthetic factor which is not something that you can say, well, you know, I have adequate roof and food, but there's also 
we're created in a world that God gave us color and God gave us texture and God gave to us all these other things. We cannot deny the aesthetic value of some of these things as well. And to want improvement so that God is glorified, I would say is actually would be a good thing, provided that such motives are present. I see, John, you're pressing us for some practical, you know, ways of working through this problem. So here's here's how you would do it. You would say, all right, do I have the means to improve my creaturely comforts? I mean, that's an important question. So if if I desired to move up in status, if I wanted to get, instead of the 2,000-square-foot house, get the 4,000-square-foot house in the new neighborhood, well, do I have the means to do it? I mean, and I say if you have the means to do it, then it is perfectly okay for you to do it and to desire to move into that neighborhood. But let's say you want to go into exorbitant debt in order to get something that is really without your means, then you're sinning against the Lord clearly in another area. Yes, but you're going to go into exorbitant debt when you buy a house. It's just a given. Most people do not put down 50%, 75% on a new home unless they're transferring massive amounts of equity. Most people don't put down more than, let's say, 10 to 20%, and on the average mortgage here, or rather uh, home sale, and let's say Southern California is over five hundred thousand. Uh, so it's, you're going to huge amounts of debt. If you if you would put twenty five percent down on a house or twenty percent down on a house, and your income was such that you could meet the mortgage and still be giving generously, according to a, a percentage maybe that you've assigned in the your pattern, giving generously to the kingdom of God, I don't see any problem with working that financial system. Well, I think you also have to be careful here for us to start nailing down percentages or actual numbers because then you get into the danger of legalistic Pharisaism. Rather, what we should consider is what is it that you are doing? Are you seeking to provide for your family? Are you seeking to glorify God by, you know, in your particular aspect, applying the dominion mandate? Or are you simply trying to compete with others, impress others, or not look schlubbier or poorer than others? So these are all the things that you have to consider. And the actual numbers are a lot tougher to nail down and say, this is a righteous amount of spending. This is an unrighteous amount of spending. Okay, I want to come back to this then, because this is the issue I'm still wrestling with here. And maybe some people are. A lot of people, if maybe not a lot of people, but there's certainly some people out there are Christians who have a decent amount of money. And they already feel bad about that because they can look around, they see a lot of poverty, a lot of people who aren't aren't making it, they don't even have money for health insurance or whatever. And now they're in an adequate house. It's it's not bad. Maybe it's 20, 30 years old. But now they're going to go down, they're going to have the possibility to throw down a big chunk of change on on, on and invest in a very expensive piece of property. And they're wondering, is my desire sinful? Well, look, I I say that, or as we've been saying, part of the way that you can understand whether or not it's sinful is to examine your obedience to other commandments. One that particularly comes to mind when we're talking about money is giving for the kingdom. I think a lot of Christians, if they happen to have a couple of dollars left at the end of the month, and these are wealthy Christians, will you know feel good about themselves if they drop a little a check in the offering plate. And uh, meantime, churches struggle to plant churches. They struggle to maintain and send out preachers. My point is, if people are generously giving to the kingdom of Christ, there's going to be no, more than enough money to do the work of the kingdom, to give diaconal support through the church to those who are truly needy. And if they're doing that, then spend your money. It's a gift from God. Don't feel guilty. Okay, hey, we got to take a break here. Don't touch that dial. Stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints as we continue on our discussion of the 10th commandment, Thou shalt not covet. 
There is no greater joy in the Christian's life than to worship God according to his word, and there is nowhere better in the San Gabriel Valley to do this than at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. So come join us this Sunday at 9 a.m. and at 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in Arcadia. You can call us at 866-99-UNITED or look us up on the web at centersaint.org. Hey, Sinners and Saints fans, your co-host, John Sautel and the boys here with exciting news about our show joining the International Digital Revolution. We're launching start.urclearning.org, your new web home for Sinners and Saints, and for every resource you need to explore confessional Reformed Christianity. That's right, John. Starting June 25th, start.urclearning.org will be the new exclusive home to our Sinners and Saints broadcast, but it will be much more. The new start.urclearning.org promises to be your one-stop, massive resource center. You'll hear the sermons we're preaching in our churches. You'll hear lectures about doctrine and real life in the Christian faith. You'll hear Bible study series unfolding the Word of God and much more. And the best part is you can download all of it for free for play on your PC or iPod or MP3 player. You techies out there can subscribe to all the audio on the site through your podcatchers, Odeo, iTunes, Yahoo Podcasting, whatever service that you use. And you can subscribe to all the non-audio stuff on the site through whichever blog catcher or reader or aggregator you're using. And I'll tell you what else. Start.urclearning.org is going global. It starts here at home in your neighborhood where you can register your interest in becoming part of an emerging Reformed church in your area. But you'll also find translations into foreign languages. Start.urclearning.org is your bridge to like-minded believers of all cultures and all places. Imagine that. You will be learning the Reformed faith with your brothers and sisters across Los Angeles, the United States, and beyond into Mexico, Nigeria, and China. And let's not forget, my friends, that on start.urclearning.org, you will hear the old and new unauthorized versions of Sinners and Saints, where we are not forced to squeeze ourselves into the conventional mold of Christian radio. At start.urclearning.org, we can say what we want, and it ain't going to be pretty. So get ready. Start.urclearning.org is coming. Start.urclearning.org, starting June 25th, the new exclusive home of Sinners and Saints, and much, much more. Start.urclearning.org. Located in the heart of Los Angeles, Grace Evangelical Church is a Reformed church, committed to the three forms of unity, the solas of the Reformation, the doctrines of grace, the preaching of the law and the gospel, the weekly administration of the Lord's table, along with catechism classes for adults and children. Give us a call at area code 310-782-7019. 310-782-7019. Hey, thanks for joining us here tonight, Sinners and Saints. By the way, if you want to get a hold of us, call us at 866-99-UNITED, 866-99-UNITED, or check us out on the web, sinnersaint.org. Glad you're joining us for the discussion tonight on the Tenth Commandment. We are dealing with some applications of this commandment, trying to figure out just exactly what it means, and we're working through some scenarios. We pose the scenario of, of you know, you living in an adequate house and then maybe wanting a bigger, twice as big house down the street, maybe a couple miles away. You know, Adam and Moses, you talked through some of the issues that somebody should be concerned about. What, what are their motives? Do they have their resources and so forth? And Moses, you brought in the issue of dominion mandate, that God calls upon us to have a desire to improve creation and draw out its rich resources. My question would be, even if we do have the right motives, even if we do have the financial resources, 
Is there any danger yet lurking or hidden in the pursuit of bigger and better things that might end up ensnaring and trapping our souls later on when we finally get it? Well, I would say especially in the realm of our spending and our financial growth, we will be tempted to fall into sin and to the lusts of the world. Let me read from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I it's like playing with fire you have to be very careful and be very sensitive to the holy spirit working through your conscience when you're talking about upgrading your life and spending a lot of money and planning your financial future it is one of the ways above even some of the other ways in in scripture that we're warned uh, that you better be careful what you're messing with because of the weakness of our flesh so we have to take seriously the warning that we are given that we are not to store our treasures on earth but in heaven and so in all things that we do, especially when we're dealing with money, which we're warned scripturally is the root of all sorts of evil, we had better be very careful how we handle these things. But I do want to go back to something that was said earlier, that capitalism is simply driven by greed. And see, we have to be very careful how we say this. Yes, in a fallen world, it is certainly very likely that any economic system is going to be corrupted by the sinful desires of man. But simply having free exchange or making money or growing rich, none of these are sinful. The question is, what is your motive behind it? And are you doing these things in a God-honoring manner where you honor contract, you're generous to the church, you help the poor, or is it simply at others' expense that you wish to advance yourself? Yeah, we've talked before about, in this connection, like the Proverbs 31 woman. I mean, here is a woman who was very active in growing her family's estate, and she was very keen about knowing her wealth and how to grow it. But, of course, it was always providing for others and being generous, being a good steward. This is the model uh, that the Scripture lays out for us. So what we need to have here, uh, this commandment, is an understanding that we must always search our hearts and ask ourselves, are we truly content with God? Are we truly content with His wisdom and how He rules our lives? And are we seeking His glory? in growing in our sanctification, in conquering the old man, doing more and more away with sin, or rather is our entire contentment based on how much material wealth we have, especially in comparison to others around us. And let me just throw in here, there is a, a, a pitfall here. There is a false piety which uh, people can retreat into by default so that they don't feel like they're uh, being, they're, they're transgressing uh, this commandment, and that is asceticism. They, instead of trying to actually improve their condition and, and strive for bigger and better things, they retreat and they say, well, actually, I can live with a cardboard box and a glass of water and bread every day, and if I do that, then I'll be more holy and more pleasing to God because then I am not consumed with riches and, and material possessions. But that's a form of false piety, which is as much condemned in Scripture. Yeah, in that case, what you're basically saying is that the sin lies in the temptations outside rather than in my flesh. And so you're not dealing with the reality that it is you who is sinful and the wickedness comes from your heart and is not ingested from outside. That, and you kind of see this mentality a lot with people who struggle, say, with laziness. 
You know, their, yeah, their excuse for not wanting to work is, well, I'm content, unlike the rest of you who are in the rat race and actually working for a living. Yeah, okay, the, right, sure. The idea is that as a good steward, you are a good steward of the gifts that he has given you and exercise them in the economic arena, working hard, gaining wealth, using that wealth properly is a good and godly thing. And learning to be content with what God has given you and trusting, as the writer to the Hebrews says, that uh, in the promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you, but saying confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. This, the writer of the Hebrews is saying in that very context of warning the people of God against a love of money. This is how you learn to be content and to fulfill this commandment, is trust in the Lord's resources to provide, but then pray that he will also help you to grow and increase them. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time talking about a specific application of this commandment, basically because the commandment itself leads us to think about possessions, you know, neighbor's house, wife, donkey, ox, you know, possessions, whatever. But remember, this is broad too. I mean, this applies to all of our thinking and all of our living, that we ought to desire passionately the glory of God and our responsibility uh, in our sanctification in all ways, uh, purely and perfectly. That's what we're called to do. Hey, we want to thank you for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Don't miss next week. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.